Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to Gigabit Nation. We're here every week helping public, private, and uh, nonprofit organizations uh, get broadband to everywhere it needs to be in America. Uh, we have some really good uh, stuff lined up for you today. Uh, for those who've been following the news, uh, there was a big announcement in Washington. Um, President Obama issued an executive order to um, facilitate the development of broadband networks by, in essence, creating a dig-once mandate so that every public works project from the federal government would include the uh, uh, development or inserting of conduit that then could be used to uh, help broadband networks get developed uh, much faster and for a lot less money. But then also uh, the President and the White House announced uh, the U.S. Ignite program. And this is going to be a program to accelerate broadband development uh, throughout the nation. And we have several people that are involved with the U.S. Ignite uh, project, and they're going to give you the the skinny on what's going on and uh, and, and answer some questions. Um, so let's start with um, our first guest, who is uh, Joe Cochain, who is one of the um, original uh, partners in the U.S. Ignite effort. And Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig, very much. Glad to be here. So, what was the genesis of U.S. Ignite? I mean, I know we sort of we've, we've seen a lot of stuff today at the announcement and videos and all the rest of it. But in the beginning, what were you folks thinking when you came up with this? Well, U.S. Ignite was really born out of an effort uh, from the National Science Foundation and the uh, White House Office of Science and Technology Policy that had gotten together with researchers and innovators. At, in the university community who are working on the National Science Foundation's Genie program. And Genie really is looking at the technologies that will help to take better advantage of next generation networks. You know, the internet was built on a foundation of um, protocols and other, uh, other, other technical elements that is really 30 some years old now. And <clears throat> as the research that has been done in the next generation networks uh, has moved forward in the university community uh, among, among NSF researchers, people really under, begin to understand that the key to getting those technologies pro proliferated further out into the world was to focus on developing applications that would make better use of those networks. And those applications would be what really catalyze interest in Spark development among a broad range of partners, both university and government communities, as we've mentioned, and then also bringing together industry and community partners as well. Mm -hmm. And so U.S. Ignite, the public-private partnership that's being launched today, is a nonprofit that is funded and supported by community partners, research and education networks, and industry leaders across sort of a broad, a broad spectrum of the telecom and technology um, industries to come together to work with the university efforts that are funded through the basic research uh, at NSF to develop applications for next generation internet. Mm -hmm. So is it accurate then to say that this is indeed a, um, uh, to, to make it simple for everyone, uh, an accelerator program? You're basically accelerating, you're, you're bringing together a whole slew of resources to accelerate the development of broadband applications more so than accelerating the actual building out of broadband infrastructure. <laughs> yes, that's right. The, the notion behind U.S. Ignite certainly is not that we have enough in infrastructure. Um, we all understand that there are infrastructure challenges in the U.S., but there are efforts to to fix that problem right now, and some of those efforts are private, and you know, coming from some of the larger telecom companies. Some of those efforts are uh, public, you know, the stimulus money that NTIA and RUS distributed in the last couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Some of those efforts are are research-based, uh, some of the research educational ne uh, networks that are connecting schools, libraries, hospitals, other things like that. One of the things, so one of the things that we believe is that in order to encourage more development and, and to create business models that will encourage people to put more of those networks in place in more places, you really need to have applications that need gigabit speed, that need software-defined networking, that need network virtualization, all the technologies that we're focusing on. If you have applications that take better advantage of those characteristics, 
you begin to create a pull demand for more and more networks, and that helps to justify more business models, public and private business models, for mm-hmm. the deployment of next-generation networks. Now, um, do you run the risk of getting into a chicken-and-egg situation? Because if I'm a potential developer, I might say, well, there's no market there yet. I mean, I want to develop, but at the same time, you can't really develop a market if you don't have anything to sell them. That's that's exactly what we're hoping to solve. And so we have brought industrial partners, research partners, network operators together, sort of in a th- what we would consider a three-step process. The first is to encourage the development of applications through conferences, codathons, hack days. Um, today, also NSF announced the uh, Mozilla Ignite competition for application development, which will be taking place over the next year. Various uh, Mozilla will be leading various application development contests. There'll be prize money. There'll be startup assistance. That's the first step: is to get people thinking about what is possible with a next generation broadband network. What kind of applications should we really be focused on? Step two then is to get find a place for those application developers to test those applications among real users, and users being end-user customers and also community anchor institutions. And that's step two is part of what U.S. So U.S. Ignite does step one. We also do step two by bringing partners together who own networks. Some are corporate partners, Verizon, Comcast, others. Some are municipally owned networks like in Chattanooga or Lafayette. Mm-hmm. Some are research and, edu- research and educational networks like Merit or uh, UEN in Utah. And they have agreed to set aside network test beds wherein they can work with researchers, entrepreneurs, and innovators to launch small-scale versions of their applications that need these next-generation networks to begin to see how they really proliferate, to begin to build that business model. And then step three of the efforts behind U.S. Ignite is to bring our industrial partners and others together to figure out how to help those innovators scale up what they have put them in more places, put them on more networks, get them in front of more people. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a three-step process that it will be the, uh, the operating uh, backbone of the U.S. Ignite partnership. So a nice little three-step there. Or waltz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm using> <laughs> um, exactly. Okay. So now of the, um, of the folks that you have uh, pulled together, then so you, you feel like you have the – I would call it, I guess, the complete ecosystem, though in many form, obviously. I mean, there's not uh, Chatt- you know, Chattanooga-type cities everywhere, but you seem to have created a, uh, a, a cradle or soup-to-nuts collection of partners to enable then to go from, you know, I will develop a product, there will be some, at least some people who will be interested in buying it, using it, so forth, and then at the end, you know, hopefully a bigger market as more networks come online. Yes. Exactly, and we've got a, a, our uh, new and revised website went live this morning. We've got a listing there of some of our what I'll call sort of founding partners, uh, and those founding partners allow us to get right now uh, in the first little bit here to to over 25 communities across the country, communities, various types and sizes and scales. And so you mentioned again, there are not that many Chattanoogas yet. We hope there'll be much more. We hope that our efforts will encourage there to be many more stories like that. But you know, again, by the same tokens this morning, Verizon announced that they're going to work with us on a testbed in Philadelphia. The folks at Merit Networks are going to work with us uh, and the Mott Foundation and Kettering University for a testbed network among community anchor institutions in Flint, mm-hmm. um, in Flint Michigan. The uh, Hiawatha Broadband, HBC, and Winona, Minnesota, certainly a smaller community than some of the others we've listed, but they have a network that they would love to, that they're going to work with us to become a testbed uh, for various types of projects in their community. So the city of San Francisco has announced that their citywide network, which is not, you know, does not go to end user homes yet, mm-hmm. uh, but is the citywide municipal network, it does connect hospitals, schools, libraries, other public facilities. They would like to be a test bed for certain kind of applications that folks can think of that would be appropriate for their city to help bring more city services online, to help streamline, help save money, help provide better services to their residents. So we have a number of different types of networks that can be test beds for us. I'll just throw Mm -hmm. a couple more examples. Um, In Urbana, Illinois, the uh, Urbana-Champaign broadband network that was partially funded by uh, NTIA BTOP funds 
that is connecting a few thousand homes in Urbana to a fiber-to-the-home broadband network that also happens to be connected to the University of Illinois' campus and to some of the very high-end supercomputers that they have on campus. And so you can imagine if a researcher or an entrepreneur had an idea that required gigabit access to homes and to major processing power, perhaps a big data type application, um, there may be an opportunity to test that out on the network that's being built in Urbana because you brought together, you know, the university community, researchers, perhaps as they develop that application. You're starting to fade a little bit. I'm sorry, can you hear me now? Okay, now we're good. Now we're good. Okay, so we got that last part. There we go. Um, yeah. Okay, so now this is very interesting, and, and you know, as I mentioned uh, when, when we were when, in our pre-show, you know, I do want to get, um, you know, get you back again and uh, get, you know, maybe a couple of other folks from the U.S. Ignite team. I mean, we're doing something of a round robin on this particular show where we're bringing in a number of folks to kind of touch on different aspects of the uh, of the two announcements today. So I'm going to start this first uh, handoff here and. Uh, bring on uh, a representative from the White House, and uh, I just want to say thank you, you know, for your time for being here. Thanks very much. We hope to be back again. All righty. Take care. Take Tom Khalil. Yes, sir. Good afternoon. This is Craig Settles. And hey, how are you? I'm doing great, and we're very happy to have you here as part of the uh, the breakdown today of what's going on with. Uh, U.S. Ignite and also the uh, President's Executive Order. And, um, you know, as a background, I think probably a number of people that are here in our audience have gotten at least a snippet of what's happened, uh, you know, what, what U.S. Ignite is all about and so forth. But I do want to focus a little bit on the Executive Order, uh, which is basically a what I think was being called uh, Dig Once is the uh, – Title has been sort of nominated to be a moniker for this thing, but but tell us a little bit about that, please. Sure. Uh, well, the, the president signed and issued an executive order that directs agencies. Hello. Uh oh. We seem to be having some sort of communication difficulty here. Um, Can you hear me? Okay, uh, we lost the, like the last minute. We got your first sentence, and then it just went into a garbled mode. All right. Can you hear me now? Yep, you're good now. Okay, great. So the president signed uh, an executive order called uh, Accelerating Broadband Infrastructure Deployment, and it's a directive to the agencies to promote broadband deployment by taking advantage of federal lands, buildings, rights-of-way, uh, and federal, federally-assisted highways, uh, particularly in, in underserved communities. Uh, and it would do that in a couple ways. One is it would form a um, working group looking at broadband deployment involving all the agencies that, ha that have the responsibility for managing lands, buildings, rights-of-way, federally-assisted highways, including uh, agencies like the Department of the Interior, uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture, Defense Department, et cetera. Um, and those agencies would be tasked with uh, developing a strategy to make sure that the private sector uh, and, and other entities have um, timely and efficient access uh, to these assets. And that might include eliminating duplicative reviews, um, providing more information about what types of assets uh, the federal government has, uh, ensuring that there's not uh, inconsistent interpretation between federal agencies, which can make it more difficult, and then trying to coordinate uh, with the state and local government as well. Mm -hmm. So that that's one important piece of it. And then there's also some um, specific uh, instructions to the Department of Transportation uh, and, and that's where people talk about dig once, namely that uh, if you're uh, digging up a highway, uh, then that's a, a great opportunity 
to you know provide access to broadband conduit because the Department of Transportation has estimated that 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 deploying broadband at that point uh, can reduce the cost by as much as 90%, but it can also help provide the infrastructure for intelligent transportation systems, which can improve safety and, and reduce traffic congestion. Mm-hmm. So that's so, that's what people refer to as as dig once. Namely, um, if you if you've got a, um, uh, a construction highway construction project going on, or a construction, or a new highway, or a repair, uh, and you're going to be digging up the streets already, uh, that's a great time to encourage deployment of broadband. Mm-hmm. So now, who will actually own? All of those. So, if say you have five different agencies, you know, you've got the Department of Transportation, and you've got, you know, just you know, a, a range of folks. Who ultimately owns all of this conduit? Well, the, um, you know, I'm not sure whether it's possible to answer that question in the abstract. It, you know, so the the ownership uh, would be, uh, you know, would be de- depending on on what sort of building or right-of-way or, or highway that you're talking about. But what this executive order does is to create this uh, working group so that there's a lot more coordination and consistency of different uh, procedures and, and requirements. So from that would come – I guess what I haven't had in mind is if you have four different departments, say, within one state, they all they all have different projects within the, the state, and then you have a community or you have a service provider that then wanted to lease that – uh, that conduit or take advantage of that conduit, you know, are they going to have one source to go to or how would they be able to figure out? That, that's sort of where the ownership thing is, comes to, at least in my mind, is that, you know, do I have one stop I go to and say, hey, I want to lease some of this fiber or, or some of this uh, conduit to, to pull some fiber through? That, that's what this executive order is designed to promote. That is okay. making it a lot easier for uh, an, an entity that is seeking to do broadband deployment. I mean, they may be in a position where they just need to deal with one entity because it's clear, oh, okay, you, you want to deploy broadband along this highway, and there's only one agency that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if you're in a situation where the broadband deployment is going to require uh, collaboration with multiple entities, this is going to make this a, a lot easier. Now, of course, what we're talking about here is coordination at the federal level, um, and the the executive order encourages agencies to also work with uh, state, local, and, and tribal governments, um, and also to, uh, it, with respect to the Dig Once, also in, encourages the Department of Transportation to work with state and local governments to tr- try to identify best practices. Um, okay. You know, we we have these laboratories of democracy in the sense that you have uh, 50 states many different uh, counties and, and local governments. And one of the things that the Department of Transportation is, is charged with doing is tr- try to identify some of the best practices uh, so that can, those can be more widely adopted. Mm-hmm. Now, um, is there going to be any kind of, I don't know, mandate or directive that whoever leases this infrastructure will provide an open access network? Well, you know, we're definitely going to try to use this to uh, promote uh, competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, <clears throat> you know, this by again by lowering the cost of broadband deployment, it's going to make it easier for uh, for uh, new entrants to come into the market, um, and that will definitely help to ensure uh, that uh, the the internet remains open. Right, because I mean, I, I guess uh, like some of the email that I have seen and some of the comments uh, prior to the show, you know, people were asking, well, you know, what is there to prevent, um, you know, a larger company from taking advantage of the low rate to, in essence, buy the conduit and then block off other folks from being able to use that? Hence, the open access question, because otherwise, you you could create a situation where. Um, you know, the, the larger guys just come in and and and, and monopolize the whole setup. Well, the, again, the, the goal is to try to make sure that there is uh, equal access to federal property for the deployment 
of wireline and, and, and wireless facilities, and, and mm-hmm. that's that's going to create competition, which leads to lower prices and, and more customer choice, and, and uh, will help uh, ensure that the internet remains open. So, in theory, then a community, like, like for example, if a, uh, if the Department of Transportation is coming through uh, an area where there is a community uh, broadband network. Or, or there is a desire to have a community broadband network that they and and you know and whoever else uh, you know, I guess would want to bid on it or, or or apply for the lease or whatever could but at least if there there's a there's a community effort uh, uh, in progress that they would be able to um, either either access the conduit or at least have the fiber that eventually runs through that conduit be open access you know. Well, the, so the executive order s- states specifically uh, the importance of allowing access by uh, multiple broadband service providers. Excellent. That, that, that's yeah. That, that I think that's really what, what my questioners were getting to yep. was, you know, will will there be some kind of you know latitude for that? Um, well, this is actually very, uh, you know, very good. Uh, you know, timing for this because I know there have been some folks in Congress that have been really lobbying for that, and um, and so if I guess from your position, you see this definitely as a uh, a win-win for everybody involved. I would assume. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's recognizing that uh, the federal government uh, has some important assets, lands, buildings, rights of way, federally assisted highways, uh, and that. We should be using that in an intelligent way to foster the deployment of broadband because, as the president has said, this is comparable to the interstate highway system, to the transcontinental railroad, to other investments that the country has made in infrastructure that have established the foundation for economic growth, job creation, and, and prosperity. Mm-hmm. Um let me just ask. I know that you have you have another appointment. I don't want to uh, keep you from that. But if you just allow me one more minute, there was one question that came to mind, which is: Is there um, any kind of effort going on within either the, the the White House or within the various departments that will somehow streamline at the state level uh, a situation where you have um, several entities providing, say, grants for broadband infrastructure? But their respective agency rules might create a situation where you know one project can't really work well with another project and that kind of a thing. But then you also have the the, the state level. Now I, I think what I heard you say is that there's going to be a um, a work group at least dealing with the dig once um, uh, ruling. But will there be similar I don't know uh, concerted activity? For all of these various broadband projects, because I had a guest on the other day who's, who was talking about, you know, he's the E-rate coordinator for the state of Mississippi, and at the state level, they just run into, you know, where they want to get money from this group and the other agency, right. but the rules become contradictory. Yeah, well, I mean, some of that has to do uh, with this, with the statutes that produce these programs. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, if if the if the statute says uh Congress is making this amount of money available to achieve this purpose and the only eligible entities are A, B, and C, uh then uh obviously the agency that's implementing the law has to be faithful to the letter and spirit of the law. But if there are opportunities for us to uh be flexible uh, because the statute provides us uh, with the authority um, to uh, be more responsive to the particular needs of a community, we certainly try to do that. And we have a number of programs where we encourage uh, multiple agencies to work together in, in areas like economic development and job creation, where we integrate different programs. So we might have uh, agencies who fund small business uh, infrastructure, economic development, job training, uh, and then w- we'll try to develop a solicitation that allows the community to say, uh, this is how we would integrate those programs uh, to support our bottom-up economic strategy. So we do try to do that. It's just that sometimes uh, a, a law is written in such a way that the agency doesn't have the, the flexibility 
uh, to change it unilaterally, and it would require uh, literally an act of Congress. Congress. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I see see the dilemma clearly now. That that makes a lot of sense. Well, I'm going to let you go, because I know that you have uh, another appointment. Hopefully I'll be able to get you... Uh, you know, back on the show, and we can talk into some more detail. You know, as things start to, you know, become reality with the uh, with the executive order, and just get you know some something of a progress report. But uh, I wanted to just get you in because I wanted to have that voice in to talk about a couple of these questions. And I definitely appreciate your time. I'm sure my audience appreciates it as well. Super, great to talk to you. All right, take care. All righty, so moving right along here, we are going to take a look at Chattanooga because I want to get an idea, obviously, from you know the the community perspective of what they feel you know is is going to be the merits and the value of the whole U.S. Ignite program. And with me on that score is uh, Jed Marston, Marston, who is the VP of um, Marketing and Communications for the uh, Chattanooga Area Chamber of Commerce. Jed, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Yes. So let's talk about Chattanooga. You guys are involved with so much; it's just you know, it's just crazy. But what what are you guys doing with uh, US Ignite, and 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 how, in some respects, is this a uh, I don't know a path or a model or a blueprint that other communities might want to follow? Well, um, we actually first became involved with the National Science Foundation early last year. And at that time, um, U.S. Ignite might have been on the drawing board, but it obviously hadn't been announced yet and it wasn't in full force. But what they were doing was they had a number of uh, the National Science Foundation called in uh, scientists from all over the country who were looking at, at ultra bandwidth applications. They were testing them in the laboratory. And so they were bringing these folks together, and and they had about three meetings. And we began to attend those meetings because um, the way we see it, uh, Chattanooga with our 150,000 homes that are connected to a fiber optic network, we're a real-world test bed, um, Mm -hmm. a full-scale real-world test bed. And following those meetings, we actually have deployed um, what we call gig labs. We have four gig labs that are meant for developers uh, to come in and um, so they can access our citizens as a real-world test audience for their ultra-bandwidth applications. Um, so that's one way, just connecting us with the, the researchers, the entrepreneurs, the, the technology partners, um, we have been very successful over the last year, in part with the National Science Foundation and the U.S. Ignite assistance in connecting with, you know, um, the Cisco's, the Alcatel-Lucent's, um, a number of other companies that have become engaged in Chattanooga and, in fact, have provided substantial financial support for our gig tank, our uh, summer accelerator that we have going on right now. Mm-hmm. So... I know this is maybe a hard question, but how does a community plan for innovation? Because the theme seems to be with this is that um, U.S. Ignite has brought these various partners together to create test beds, to create a way to get to innovative applications. But if I'm a community, you know, I've, I've got a, you know plans in mind for building a network or how are we going to get our broadband in place, um, how do you plan for innovation or, you know, or or does it just happen? No, it doesn't just happen. It really arises out of the culture. And uh and, and I will say it's it's important to bring different kinds of partners to the table. This is not a situation where the government can do it all by itself or the private sector can do it all by itself, et cetera. It really does need to be a situation where you have different kinds of entities and individuals who come together. And I guess as an example of, of how it's worked in Chattanooga using the fiber optic backbone that we've got. Um, The city of Chattanooga realized that they could deploy a super-fast wireless mesh network. Um, So the fiber provides the backbone for for delivering this mesh network. And with that mesh network, they've done things like rig up um, all of the traffic lights so that they can be centrally controlled um, and and integrated in, in a more responsive way. 
And basically, the chief information officer for the city went to all the departments and said, what are the problems that you're having? And tried to identify ways that, that this infrastructure could support the various departments in providing better customer service to citizens. At the same time, um, the information about this mesh network was put out into the community. We actually have two different entrepreneurs. Uh, one has just received a uh, three-year, uh, I believe it's $20 million contract to replace all of the city, uh, all of the lights, the public lighting in, in Chattanooga with uh, super efficient LED lights that are smart metered in real time and they, they, they can be controlled on the web. So, um, and he's in the process of actually bringing the manufacturer of those lights and controls back from China to Chattanooga, and he's marketing that system to um, to several other cities. And we've got our fingers crossed that a number of other cities are going to pick up on that uh, innovation as well. Mm -hmm. And then we have another local uh, innovator, our entrepreneur, who was working on a, um, a water monitoring, remote water monitoring uh, technology. So you've got these monitors in the water in areas, you know, maybe around uh, an industrial area or near um, a water treatment facility. And using the mesh network again, these monitors suddenly become, you know, these live in real time signals so that the, the city knows when there's a water quality po uh, problem without having to wait for someone to report it. Mm -hmm. So really in two ways with the infrastructure in place and an openness to uh, innovation and an invitation to local entrepreneurs, we started to see some really phenomenal things happen very quickly. So it basically sounds like a um, you, you create a you you create an, an environment of entrepreneurialism and innovation among the key stakeholders. And I know that, that Chattanooga has a number of stakeholder groups. And then you put the word out and you bring them together and say, hey, let's let's make stuff. Let's make magic happen. That, that's exactly right. I mean, in our mind, you know, the government is really good at, at infrastructure. They're they're the best ones to do that stuff they're not necessarily the best ones to come up with the latest innovation. Mm -hmm. um, but you marry those two things together, if, if the infrastructure is very intentionally positioned as a platform for innovation by the private sector, magical things start to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, in wrapping up, what, do you, what would be your advice to communities in, how, in terms of how they can best take advantage of the U.S. Ignite opportunity? Well, I, I think the first thing is, and, and you were talking about the kind of chicken and egg situation uh, earlier. Um, on the one hand, uh, you can't have the applications without the infrastructure. And on the other hand, no one, regular citizens, I am not particularly interested in infrastructure unless there are applications that make it interesting. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the first insight, and this is uh, – in Chattanooga, the way the network was built was the EPB, our local electric power uh, board, realized that um, the fiber optic network, they could use it for a smart grid, which is what they were really interested in as a power distributor. And it was only after they built a business model on the smart grid that they added on data and TV and all the other data services. I think in other communities that are facing the challenge of how do we deploy this kind of infrastructure, and, and the issue is it's very it's very expensive. It's very difficult to find one entity that can take the risk on, on that level of investment. But I think what we've learned in Chattanooga is if you deploy this kind of infrastructure with only one application in mind, you're going to fail um, because it's so expensive. But the beautiful thing about this is there are a million things you could do with this infrastructure. So mm -hmm. There's no reason why you couldn't have a shared uh, a group of investors coming in to build the infrastructure together with agreements to each of them use it for their own business plans on the back end. Mm -hmm. So I think that's number one. That's that's an insight um, that, that people really haven't embraced yet but could really make the difference going forward in accelerating the deployment of, of this kind of infrastructure across the country. Mm -hmm. And then secondarily, in terms of the applications, um, I, I think the, the, the wonderful thing about U.S. Ignite is between the uh, Mozilla prize competition that they're starting, um, the connections to, to researchers, and entrepreneurs, and major technology companies, they're really connecting the dots between the players on the national level who can help uh, communities on the local level turn 
these infrastructure assets into applications and consequently into jobs. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate this, uh, you know, this particular bit of insight. And you know, you guys in Chattanooga are always on my radar, so I will definitely be back to somebody there as as things progress and get some more information. Uh, at this juncture, I want to turn over to um, the private sector side. I want to get one of the ISPs that's involved with the project online, and uh, and he and we will discuss some of the private sector perspective on. Um, USA, I think. Jed, again, thank you very much. Hello. Hi. Gary, are you there? Hi. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. And this audience, this is our um, our <laughs> our longstanding uh, ISP representative here. This is Gary Evans, uh, who's the CEO of Hiawatha Broadband. And Gary has actually been on the show uh, a couple times, and is also a, his company is also a sponsor of the show. And so, welcome, welcome as a guest. Thanks. Great to be back. Indeed, indeed. So let's talk about US Ignite. You know, we've got the um you know, we've got the community broadband perspective from uh from 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 Jed at Jadanuga. What's your take on, you know, the value that US Ignite brings to ISPs, particularly the smaller local ISPs? Well, I I think Craig from um first of all as uh some people pointed out I actually sat in on the community breakout session because I was interested. But uh, one of the participants in, in that session, Jeff Daly, pointed out that um, the publicity value or the public relations value was huge, uh, casting um, new light on the issue and light that can be leveraged going forward. So clearly that's one advantage. Um, the fact that new technologies that are being developed for ultra-high-speed uh, networks will be available to the participant communities is another uh, significant advantage. And then from an application standpoint, uh, you know, every <clears throat> network operator's dream is to increase the revenue streams on the network. And mm -hmm. to the extent that new applications can do that, that's another huge development. And and then when you pair that, sorry for this being such a long answer, but when you pair that uh, with the fact that um, these providers will be among the first to have those applications, it becomes even more significant. So mm -hmm. I couldn't be more excited, to be honest with you. So it basically puts you first in line for some of the hot new stuff as it comes off the uh, or out of the oven, as it were. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and another uh, value is that uh, you know, all of the cities gathered around the uh, uh, community uh, uh, table during the breakout session um, pledged their willingness to share freely uh, and help expansively. So that means that, you know, Winona's been a uh, healthcare test bed city for 12 years now. And uh, we're developing some really interesting new applications. And and knowing that that's of interest to Chattanooga or Flint, Michigan or Lafayette, Louisiana, um, is, is a great thing for us, as is the fact that the applications being developed in those communities will also be available to us. So lots and lots of good things. Uh, obviously, um, in the promise stage at this point, uh, but I sensed in the group today something that uh, in sessions that were convened for conversations like this before wasn't present, and, and that was a real devotion to making certain that this effort was going to move forward with everybody pulling together. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's uh, that's definitely a major plus to try to get everybody on the same page, your public side, your private side, you know, the necessary nonprofits and so forth. How would you, um, you know, advise ISPs to, to to get on board with I uh, with US Ignite and how to make the most of that relationship once they get there? Well, I, I you know there was an open invitation extended today to uh, uh, networks that uh, were capable now or or would be soon to deliver gigabit capacity to uh, join uh, if they wanted to. Uh, quite frankly, I think the more the merrier you know we we spend a lot of time talking about and i know that uh, we had a bit a bit of a discussion with dissenting views on this uh this morning but uh, we have a lot of discussion about the adoption issue and mm-hmm. to me it has always seemed a relatively simple situation and and that is if you give a person a real reason to adopt there will be adoption so from my perspective uh i think that applications are the key uh mm-hmm. for instance um uh, you know i remember when we first started our network in 1998 a uh, 92-year-old gentleman asking me what kind of computer he should buy. And, and I'll confess to being stunned. I didn't think that the gentleman was the kind who would ever use a computer. <laughs> but then he told me the driving influence. He said, you know, Gary, my daughter is in China, and our method of communication currently is one fax a week that we exchange. My understanding is if I had a computer, I could talk to her every day on this new thing called the Internet. You know, um, so for him, it was the fact that uh, he could communicate with a loved one uh, in a way that wasn't before possible. Um, Staying with that demographic for a minute, um, you know, if uh, <laughs> at my age it's me, but, uh, <laughs> you know, for grandma and grandpa uh, to stay in their own home longer because they have the security of knowing that they can call for help uh, very easily and conveniently if something goes wrong, um, is a huge driver. Um, you know, um, independent living, um, I suppose we could put driving in this capacity, and the, and the Internet hasn't solved this one yet. But mm-hmm. I think that we can use the Internet um, and data transmission to keep the elderly living independently longer, which would be a great thing um, for health care costs. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, and uh, uh, my colleague from Utopia said, but Gary, this is a chicken and an egg issue. Which one comes first? And and he's right. Um, there's, there's no question that... Um, the network probably has to come first, okay? Mm-hmm. But but for the, at least the cities gathered around the table this morning or in the auditorium at the uh, uh, Eisenhower Executive Office building, the networks are in place. And uh, so as we develop uh, trial um, and improve, um, the number and quality of applications available, I believe that goes a long way towards solving the adoption issue. Mm-hmm. So let me know. we got only just about just about a minute here before our next guest. Um, I've been getting questions about will U.S. Ignite help the issue of competition and the lack of infrastructure? Now, I realize it's a – uh, it's an application-focused program, but is there any element of this that will somehow facilitate, uh, you know, bringing on more competition and getting more infrastructure built, particularly in rural areas? 
Well, I would like to think so, particularly since, um, uh, you know, many of of the uh, uh, networks that have been in place for a long time aren't capable of of carrying high-speed applications. And with a multiplicity of new revenue streams emerging, I would think that more people would be encouraged to build networks. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed clear to me that many municipalities are thinking of that. Right. Okay. Well, look, I, I appreciate your, um, your your feedback here. I want to get our last guest on. And uh, as always, this has been very helpful, and I'm sure we'll be back on the air with you again. I'll look forward to that. Have a great afternoon. All right. You too, Gary. Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. We're now queuing up for our last guest of the day. Hello. Hello, Will. This is Craig Settles calling in. Hey, Craig. How's it going? It's going great. So for my audience, I want to introduce our last guest for the day, and that is Will Barkas who is the gigabit evangelist for Mozilla. So I am not going to like steal your thunder. What's um, what's Mozilla all about for those few people that may not know, but I guess more importantly, what's the uh, foundation all about and how is it playing a role in U.S. Ignite? Great. Um, great. Thanks for uh, inviting me to be on your, uh, your show. And hi to everyone out there. So, um, yeah, again, my name is Will Barkas. I'm a... Uh, an evangelist, gigabit developer evangelist is actual title. I think probably the only one you'll ever meet. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we'll see. So stepping back, so I think I think people generally um, know who Mozilla is, why we're um, why we care about open web um, and you know innovation online and participation. Um, Mozilla. So I mean, you asked about Mozilla, Mozilla versus Mozilla Foundation. You know, we we kind of look at it like one thing, but technically Mozilla Foundation sits on top of the Mozilla Corporation. Um, so Mozilla Foundation is not for profit, so it's, it's all essentially not for profit. But anyway, it's it's really it's sort of one one Mozilla, um, and we are interested in you know an open web, an open internet, and an open future internet. And so this pro- project, um, US Ignite, which I guess you've been talking about um, probably a lot this hour. Uh, you know, is really an attempt to kind of leverage investments others have made and create applications that that have impact on people's lives uh, on these next generation networks um, that are ultra high speed, so gigabit per second, if possible, symmetrical, and are deeply programmable. So this is software defined networking um, in which you know you can essentially program the whole like all throughout the network. Um, you can. You, know, you can put your code rather than just on the edge on your in your phone or in your laptop. You can put your software essentially in the routers and firewalls, all the, you know everything through the whole network. Um, so Mozilla comes into this uh, as part of the US United Initiative, running an app challenge or set of set of iterative app challenges called Mozilla Ignite, and it's really two broad phases. So specifically, uh, as of today, we're having we're starting a, a brainstorming phase where we're really just trying to get ideas, get the best ideas from, you know, all corners of the globe um, about, you know, what would a killer app look like? Um, what problems do you have in your life? You know, if you're a nurse in a clinic or uh, an educator in a school that you see could be solved by some of these technologies um, and just get people talking, get people commenting on those those ideas, try and, um, you know, gin up support, stir up teams, Create community, uh, be a place of dialogue for um, for those ideas, and then feed that into an actual set of uh, app challenges where we get you know get developers hacking away, creating prototypes uh, and things that people can actually use. So and that'll start in September. So this the idea phase is starting now. Uh, the actual app challenges will start in September and run over it's a three sort of three iterative rounds. Um, about the, the total the total prize pool is around five hundred thousand dollars, and uh, we'll run about five months in total. But um, so so that that's a general intro. Do you do you, uh, have any specific 
question, sir. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I, I got, I got the you know, idea, and that was good. That, that gives me a good idea. Um, it seems like a lot of folks, uh, when they're doing these contests of the six-figure variety, that um, it's, I don't know, it seems to push us toward, you know, a big application. You know, like, can I identify this major, um, you know... Killer, killer ad. Yeah. But right. is it more of the that we should be looking at, um, you know, apps to address simple issues and makes them more easy to manage or to execute or whatever? Or is that part of your That's a good question. To win the prize? Um, well, so the ultimate goal for the sort of number and type of apps uh, is something like 60, quote-unquote, killer apps over the next, uh, like, three to five years of, mm-hmm. of the U.S. United Initiative. Um, and so I think the real... I think you probably need both. I mean, you know, the stuff that you think, uh, you, you, we, went, we went around the room today uh, in one of the breakout sessions talking about, you know, <clears throat> everyone introduced, introduced themselves and said what their favorite app was. And, you know, things that you think of as maybe being mundane or make, I, not mundane, but like you said, just, just increasing the efficiency of your day-to-day life that aren't maybe like step back and think, wow, wow this is a killer app. Um, Turn out to be killer apps later. You know, when you really integrated um, something into your into your workflow or your daily kind of life flow, uh, you know, like email, maybe <laughs> you know, is a killer app that you, that you might not have originally seen as a killer app. So I think um, uh, Mark Sermon, our executive director, during his remarks in the panel, which should be uh, available later as a webcast, uh, you know, made a point like you know we, we don't really know what the killer apps are or what the business models are for these these things, and I don't think we could have predicted it, um, you know, early in the in the 90s or late 80s, just exactly like how how amazing the web was going to be, right? Or email, right? Exactly. We kill our apps at the internet now, but so, but specifically, like what we hope to get out of these competitions, I think it has. They have to have two things. They have to inspire people, and they need to tell a story that says or that shows people, wow, this would be awesome in my life. Like imagine Steve Jobs getting up on a stage and saying, you know, this is why you need an iPhone. This is a little bit like that. The, the, you know, you have to have a handful of killer apps that kind of blow people's hair back a little, inspire them and say, oh, yeah, I want, I want, to, be, I want to have ultra high-speed programmable networks. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I guess, yeah, I guess they have to get the story. At the same time, the other important thing is that you have, there needs to be a way to measure the impact. Uh, or it kind of just seems smoke and mirrors the. So I don't know if you balance it or how you do the right the right balance. And it's almost like a simple multiplication, right? Like how big is the impact versus how actual is it, or how how likely? You know, you know. Um, so something that's mundane that, that you know improves your workflow a few percent that adds up and is really amazing, actually. Um, so that could be a killer app. But I guess in our case, the judges um, of the competition are really going to be, uh, you know, the stewards of that kind of wisdom, like what is a killer app in their opinion. Um, and I think I think it's one of those things, like you'll know it when you see it. Um, right. So. Now, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've witnessed from afar a number of, again, these types of uh, gigabit challenges and so forth. Um, is there any consideration or is there a pro- part of the process that looks at, you know, the, the market um, research or the market analysis. I mean, because I, I can see where like five people can come in with applications, and one may have something that'll just totally knock your socks off, but haven't mm-hmm. done, you know, the necessary legwork. Can you can you sell the thing? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I, I again, like I, I'll throw that back to the the quality and caliber and, and wisdom of our judges, and that you know they're going to be looking at it a little bit like a venture capitalist would look at it. You know how. How good is the team? How good is how good is their idea? How likely are they to actually implement it? And what's the what's the impact? I mean, the impact is a direct question, or you know, a very important question. And I think that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna think about it in a real world, cynical uh, kind of way. But I think mm-hmm. I think we have a good set of judges. Um, I think they're up on the website. So if you go to MozillaIgnite.org, they should all be listed. But the visionaries like the Tim O'Reilly's of the world. Um, so, so we should, I think we're going to have a really good set of judges, and hopefully, we'll get some good things out of them. 
Cool deal. But, now I know at the beginning of the set of the well, the festivities today at nine o'clock, there was a breakdown of I think five areas, five industries or whatever that uh were the were primary targets for US Ignite. Is the competition going to follow those same five categories or are you looking for something else as far as type of application? So we're sticking to the categories. Um you know, at least for this time around, um, I don't think, I think the categories are pretty broad when you're looking at, um, you know, a, a, like a, an app that might be awesome for video games. Well, there's, you know, you can definitely do amazing things in education and workforce training with video games or in public safety with, uh, or, or not, you know, with the kind of underlying tools. Um, some core in public safety, you imagine uh, how amazing it would be to rehearse with your firefighting crew just exactly what's going to happen when you go into a building, um, you know, ahead of time, and, and or maybe do it on the fly, sort of augmented reality kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think that, yes, teams are going to have to sort of constrain or bend their ideas, at least, to the categories that are there, but they're pretty broad, so it's... Right. Uh, well, as, you know, as a, a wrap-up, what, what are those five categories? I think we got about yeah, so uh, education and workforce mm -hmm. developments. Um, Public safety and emergency preparedness, mm -hmm. um, clean energy, or, or sort of smart grid, including advanced um, transportation stuff, health. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess you'll have to look at the, at the website to the exact phrasing of some of these things, but you know, health technologies or health and healthcare technologies. Right, right. Um, I'm missing advanced manufacturing, mm -hmm. and then transportation. So, sort of its own category, but also kind of falls under the energy category, depending on right. what right. you're doing. All those ways. Do you think that um, the creativity behind the apps can drive um, infrastructure development in places where there isn't infrastructure currently? In other words, you know, if I've got large stretches of you know, underserved rural populations and so forth, can an application be, I don't know, perceived as strong enough to where someone might say, I will invest in that area to bring infrastructure to them, even if I'm not even an ISP. Um, I think that's a good. I mean, that, that's a great question. Whether this, and it's the kind of crux of whether this whole initiative will actually be effective. Um, I personally believe it, it can. I think if you show someone, you know, just how amazing it is to video chat with uh, their grandparents or their you know, grandkids in 4K. You know, or ultra HD um, level video, or you're just, just extremely high resolution video with no latency or very, very low latency. You don't have to compress and decompress video streams anymore, uh, and with a truly great range of audio. You know that that kind of thing drives demand. I mean, I, I, I think, I think, I think it's like it's like Steve Jobs getting up on stage and showing you the iPhone and showing you the Google Maps app or the Maps app and thinking like, you know, holy cow, I want that thing. Unfortunately, in that case, you know, you can go out and buy one <laughs> almost immediately. But uh, in in this case, hopefully, you know, you have the the president showing you something, you know, going to some school and showing you what the, what a group of kids can learn or is built that they couldn't have done before, and and you say like, I want that for my kids. We're doing that in our school, you know. And so uh, it depends on how compelling the apps are, <laughs> right? I mean, if no one comes up with anything great, uh, then then maybe not. But uh, it's okay. It's hard to imagine there won't be some amazing things that are happening at the speeds we're talking about. I mean, really, the paradigm shift, I think, in terms of what you can do with computers, when you have, a, uh, essentially, the network is, can be a computer. Um, I mean, you're, you know, you're writing, a gigabit per second is just hard to get your head around, really. Um, so, Great. I don't know, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer, which is why I'm an evangelist here, <laughs> right? Well, uh, I, I think we'll come no, up with a lot makes a lot of sense, and, it, and it's great to have that enthusiasm here. So we're wrapping up, and, you know, it's been a great show. I appreciate you coming on. I may very well call you guys back and, you know, get you on for a full hour. I know this was a little bit rushed, uh, but yeah. I wanted to get some different perspectives of what was a fairly, you know, major announcement. And, uh, you know, so your, but your time is definitely appreciated and the insights. And yeah, so thank forth. you. And uh, let me, let's let me throw on. one other pitch out there, which would be, yeah, you know, it, it, to, to your listeners, viewers, come to the come to the website and submit an idea, or, or at least look at what other people are submitting the next you know month and a half. 
that is actually an excellent an excellent pitch. Everyone should do that. They should follow it. You know, let's get some group efforts going here, and let's come up with some really creative applications. Well, That's you go have awesome. a great rest of your day, and we will be in touch again sometime soon. Thank you very much, Craig. I appreciate it. All right, and thank Craig. you to our audience today for being here. Uh, we'll talk to you again uh, next show. Take care. Goodbye. Great.